I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to Scripture and Tradition, where we look at the words of the Scriptures through the lens of our Catholic tradition that comes to us from the Apostles and through them from Jesus. Now, we'd love to have you be part of our show. You can do so by adding your questions or comments. Uh, during the live broadcast, which is Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, you can phone in. If you are in North America, call 1-800-221-9460. 1-800-221-9460. If you are outside North America, you can still call in, but you have to call country code 1, area code 205-271-2980. You can also send us questions via email by writing to Scripture and Tradition at EWTN.com, or you can follow us and participate during the show on Facebook and YouTube. Today we are continuing our discussion of our Lord Jesus' exorcism of the Gerasene demoniac. And we're going to take a look especially at the destructive force of the evil by which he was possessed. We'll also talk a little bit about the ways that people around him dealt with this exorcism and the restoration of the man. So this is our third meditation on this passage. And we will start off with chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. If you um, are interested, we are going through my book, Praying the Gospels, Jesus' Miracles in Galilee. But this material is not in there. We'll get back to that next week. Uh, but this book, Praying the Gospels, Jesus' Miracles in Galilee, is still available at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 52885. All right, so the section that we're beginning, um, as I already said, is Mark chapter 5, verse uh, 11 to 13, which says, Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So this, if you remember, as it was in the previous verses, so also here. The demons are asked their name, and they say, we are legion, for we are many. So there's a large number of them, thousands. And notice how they use the plural. It says, the, um, where it says, send us to the swine, let us enter them. So this is... Um, something that shows 
they have to ask Jesus about this because his power is superior to the power of the demons. His power is superior to that of the demons. Now, first of all, a lot of people are perplexed by this because Jewish people don't keep herds of swine. Uh, that's not kosher. But as I said last week, the east side of the Sea of Galilee is inhabited by Gentiles. It's primarily a Gentile area. So there weren't many Jews, Jewish people living there, and Gentiles, of course, do eat uh, pork. And this is something, and then Jewish people live on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, something else to notice is that these demons prefer to enter into a herd of swine then go back to their own place. Um, you know, that, that's one of the questions they have. They don't want to go back to their own place. Um, they, want, they want to go into the pigs. And that is better for, for them uh, than hell. And this shows how little sense of dignity the evil spirits have. They don't have a sense of their own dignity. They have pride, sinful pride and haughtiness, but they don't really know their own dignity, and they certainly attack the dignity of the people they uh, inhabit. And this is something that is a very important part of the demonic. When I had a course in exorcism way back in seminary days, the question that the professor put to us is, since it's true that if you are possessed, the things you do while you're possessed bear no guilt for that human person because they lose control of their will. They don't have control of their will. And they're not sinning because their, their will doesn't say yes to any of the bad things they do. So he posed the question, if there's not a matter of sin, why do demons invade human beings? Why do they possess people? Now, I'm going to let that sit, but I want to pose that now and have you think about that a bit. Why would they possess people if they're not making people sin? They, when they tempt us and we commit sin, that's our fault. But the possessed don't have free will, so they're not committing sin. Why would the demons take the time? We'll, we'll leave that for a minute. Now, it's very important to note that Jesus gives the demons permission to enter into the swine. They go into the, the couple thousand pigs and they drive the pigs so mad that they go off this 
large embankment, high, pretty high embankment, uh, and they rush into the lake and they drown. Now, this is odd because pigs know how to swim. Pigs, pigs can swim. And, you know, frankly, they have a lot of body fat, so they're a little extra buoyant to begin with. But they can swim, and yet they drown. This is something very odd. Now, this embankment is very identifiable. In most places, the Sea of Galilee slopes gently, the, the shoreline slopes gently. But you can see this is a photograph of the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. That's what it looks like today. Wouldn't have been too different in those days. And there is a bank. Uh, that you, I don't know, you have to use your imagination. The place is called Kursi in Arabic, which means chair. If you think, use your imagination, over to the left side of your screen, you see where two lower ridges come down as if they were the arms of a chair, and that's what they call that. And then over to the right of that on your screen is the bank. It's an embankment that goes down fairly sharply. You can stop there. There's a road over there. I go there. I usually stop there with my groups when I would go. And you can, there's a place to pull off with a bus or a car. And you can see the bank. And it is fairly steep. The rest, it's the only place it could be because everywhere else it really is a fairly gentle slope, but not there. Now, this is a very important element of the, this episode because the demons ask to enter the pigs. They go into the 2,000 pigs and then they destroy them by drowning them. And this is a pattern about the demonic. The demonic is self-destructive. This is where evil destroys itself. And it's the pattern of history. I've mentioned many, many times how the Nazis, the National Socialist Workers' Party, and the Empire of Japan had this desire to go and conquer everything. And yet, what happened? Japan and Germany were destroyed, along with many other places with them. They would take over these places uh, in, uh, around the world, but they ended up with their own countries being destroyed. You see how the communists killed tens of millions of their own. With all of communism, you're talking uh, well over 200 million between Mao Zedong and, um, you know, um, what's his name, Pol Pot, uh, Stalin, uh, all, the, all these folks killed. They, they're destroying their own population. And this is a very important. You take a look at uh, suicide bombers. They claim to be, some of them claim to be doing this on a religious basis, but they destroy themselves and other people, oftentimes innocent people, 
people shopping in a, in a marketplace or in schools and school buses. They were bombing school buses in Algeria. Guy would get on board and blow himself up with the kids because they were the wrong sect. Um, this, this is self-destructive. And then the French Revolution proclaimed these values of uh, liberty, equality, and fraternity, but it led to mass slaughters, not only by their own government of their own people, but then the revolution eventually led to the Napoleonic Wars that brought devastation all over. I mean, it's evil is self-destructive. And we, we saw this in our own country in 2020 when groups and gangs were burning neighborhoods, not of the people that they just disagreed with, but they, they were just burning down places that uh, of people had nothing to do with the problems. We see that political and ideological movements that hate God, and oftentimes divide people among themselves in order to bring on hatred. Think about how many groups, including some of the uh, groups of the summer of 2020, they hated some groups and they teach groups to hate them as oppressors and so on, and then they do this destruction. The symbol for this, a way to understand this process, is that the demonic brings on self-destruction. And this is what goes on. And we also see, even among many religious people, some of them turn from God. They turn away from what he teaches. And how many churches are destroying themselves because they don't hold to the gospel of Christ. This happens to various denominations. It happens to Catholic religious orders and religious groups. If you see yourself in opposition to the gospel and reject it, and I, this is not something that is fanciful. The, there are Catholic groups. Um, one man was telling me how when he was a seminarian, he asked some uh, nuns who uh, were into the New Age movement, and they, they had a center promoting this. And he said, well, how does this fit with the gospel? And they just responded, you need to get out of here. You just need to leave. They had no answer, so they just got angry. And they have no future. This goes on over and over again. And this applies to other sins. It's not only the ideological groups. It's also people who take refuge in drugs. We're losing what, twice as many. Every year, we lose twice as many people as died in the whole Vietnam conflict every year because of drug use. How many people are dying because of alcoholism, illicit sex? You know, there's high rates of, um, you know, infections of diseases 
uh, throughout the country. And then materialism and consumerism, these are self-destructive. And we, we've seen how you know, the uh, role of, say, illicit sexuality, where now, uh, well, when, again, when I was born, 4% of children were born out of wedlock. It changed for the, and it had been that way since 1790. In 1960, it went up 1%, 5% in 1960. It was 43% in 2010. Today, it's 52%. More than half of all children are born to unmarried parents. And this causes their poverty and is, is a, the best predictor of uh, the kids not finishing high school, best predictor of these children becoming unwed parents, and of children of both genders ending up in prison. This is um, the reality. And, you know, this is self-destructive. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, when people are consumed by sin and sin takes over in their life, it's not necessarily demonic possession by any means. But when sin takes over somebody's life, do they become happy? My impression is that they're not. They, do, they fear that they can't be happy if they obey the commandments of God. That they do fear. But they aren't happy living a life of sin. They're just not. They're pretty miserable. And, and some of them getting close to, to death. And you can see how this, these, sometimes we speak loosely of demons, of alcohol and drugs, driving people toward death on large scales. And we have to pay attention to what things do I give my will and attention? Do I let my will be controlled by drugs or alcohol? illicit sex, these kind of things. Then you have to examine your own life. If that's true, where is it taking you? Where is it driving you to? And what we need to do is turn to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, you know, imagine him standing right in front of us. And we need to ask him to drive the demons of our life back to hell where they belong. And to give us a way of freedom from the evil influences so that they don't get control of us and drive us over the cliff the way the demons drove the pigs. And we, how do we go to that which is good and true and beautiful? This is what we seek. And to respond to the question that I asked you before, if, if the demons possessing you don't, you know, you don't have to control your will, so you're not sinning when you do things under real demon possession, why does it happen? And our professor gave a very profound answer. Because humans are made in the image and likeness 
of God. The demons seek to destroy that image and distort the image and likeness of God. This is what happened with the communists. They distorted being generous. The Nazis, the National Socialist Workers Party, they distorted humanity and destroyed their own environment. And it's that distortion that the demons desire. And that's why they possess. And Christ comes to restore us to being in the image and likeness of God. That's the choice we have to make. Jesus or the demonic. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and we'll go on to meditation four and how this all affected the people observing it. So please stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, this is our fourth meditation on the Gerasim demoniac. And we see how the observers react to the exorcism. In Mark chapter 5, verses 14 to 17, it says, The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. All right, well, first of all, the swine herds just lost 2,000 pigs. That's enormous. And, you know, they, that's, that's a huge, huge loss. And they run to the town. Now, the town uh, where he was from, Gadara, today it's called Umkais. Umkais is over uh, south of where this occurred. And it would have taken them a little while to get there. But they, they go and people come to see for themselves. So this causes a you know, pretty significant hubbub. And one of the things that we should notice is that the sanity, the clothed dignity, and the obvious spiritual peace of the former demoniac really, really frightens these people. They are scared of this. And they're so frightened that they ask Jesus to leave. It's almost as if they're afraid 
he might go exercise some more people because they would be aware that there are folks, uh, other folks with demons. So we have to ask why? Why would you not be happy that the man is now sane? And it's a human reaction that happens all too often. People become accustomed to the madness. They become accustomed to the chaos that's gone on around them. And they don't know how to cope with sanity. I knew a woman who was very elderly, a friend of mine's grandmother. And she was a very pious Jehovah Witness. She loved her faith and she lived it. Um, and her husband was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. And they were married for over 60 years when finally he realized how bad his life had become. And he stopped drinking. And at the point in this lady's late 80s, she was, she was over almost 90. She's moving on to 90. I usually don't ask details of how old a lady is. But she, um, uh, she I, I knew from her granddaughter that she was close to 90. And after her husband had a religious conversion and stopped drinking, she left him. She walked out. You know, you stayed all these years of this guy being a drunk. And when he sobers up and finds God in his life, she walks out. And this is a very odd thing. But the reality is, and it happens to many relatives of alcoholics and drug addicts, they don't know how to cope with the sanity and the sobriety of a reformed alcoholic in, any more than this crowd knew what to do with the demoniac being in his right mind. People find that they are accustomed to the madness. They know what to expect. They know what to expect in terms of the disorder and the pain of other people's demons. And this is one of the reasons that people get called codependent. Their own identity gets wrapped up in living with an alcoholic or drug addict or a gambling addict and so on. And it comes to a point where they prefer the madness they know to the sanity, sobriety, and goodness they are foreign to. They, they really do. And the reality is such codependent people need to deal with some of their own problems. They need to work through that. That's why there are a number of uh, programs for, uh, uh, for instance, uh, Al-Anon, 
which helps the spouses of alcoholics learn to deal with the alcoholic. And there's even Alateen for teenagers and Alatot for smaller children to help them learn how to deal with uh, an alcoholic, especially when they're sobering up. And there are other groups like adult children of alcoholics, and they have to work through the difficulties they have because they take the madness for granted. They take the insanity of the abusive person as normal, and they have to discover what normalcy really is. And that's not easy. And then we also see, as we go to, um, uh, well, I, just, I think I'll wait on that. Um, but it's uh, something that we, we have to see that pe the demons, um, the, excuse me, the demoniac also has to react. He, you know, I'll read verse, chapter 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged at him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This, the, again, the Decapolis is that region east of the Sea of Galilee that was inhabited by Gentiles. And this is um, uh, something that Jesus, uh, the, the man wants to follow Jesus, but he needs him to go back. And there are, in fact, there's a church dedicated to him. It's in ruins now. Uh, it was destroyed by the Persians in 613. But it's a church of the, uh, dedicated to that demoniac. And this, our Lord gives him a mission to his fellow citizens. They can't yet cope with his sanity. So he has a mission to help them. And this would help him deepen his understanding of his own exorcism and to do so with a new kind of faith. He was a pagan. And now he sees that Jesus, who's Jewish, heals him and delivers him from the demons. And his neighbors need time and his help to come to deal with his newfound sanity. And this is something that uh, the fact that they built a church to honor him means that as time went on, he did become a very successful evangelist and brought many people in that region to Christ. So that was, that was the case. Now, just as something for us to reflect on, our Lord wants us to give witness to other people, just like he wanted this man to give witness. And we ought to contrast the mess that we make of our own lives before Jesus stepped in and let people know what Christ does for us, sometimes very quickly, sometimes slowly. And 
we have to show a certain amount of discretion in the way that we do that. And, you know, uh, this is uh, one of the things that Alcoholics Anonymous urges alcoholics and drug addicts and gambling addicts to go and make amends to people, to help them cope with this sanity and, you know, to make amends for the bad that they had done. This is something very, very important. But we also see that Christ will not only bring those who are suffering in addictions uh, to know him and, to, and recognize him as savior, and he, that he is stronger than their demons, their booze, their drugs, sex, gambling, shopping, all those things. And he is the one that is inside of them. And as we see in the first letter of John, chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus, the one inside of us, is stronger than the one in the world, that is the devil. And this is a very important thing for us to keep in mind. Okay? All right, and then I recommend again, you just pray, conclude your prayer with the uh, Anima Christi, the soul of Christ. Let's take a call right away. We have Nancy on the line from Florida. Nancy, what can we do for you? Well, I was wondering, um, the demons, you know, that went into the pigs, you said they, they desired to go into the pigs and not go to hell. But the pigs all went into the um, <clears throat> into the water, mm -hmm. and so the demons all died with the pigs. Where did the demons end up going? To hell. See, this <laughs> is this is one of the points of this that they wanted to enter the swine, and they thought that would be better than being in hell, but because of their, their own evil, they destroy what they desire. And as a result, they end up in hell. Again, this is a very, very important thing to, to think about with self-destructive ideologies like Nazis and communists. They want to get out of the mess that they're in, but where they go, they destroy. This is something that is very much uh, a problem. And, you know, they, they end, these demons end up in hell just like communists, you know, uh, it, it's amazing if you ever get a chance to see the movie. Uh, it was a television series uh, about Chernobyl and you see how it was the communist bureaucracy that prevented the people from preventing the, 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 them to stop this. They, they didn't know how to stop it because of the bureaucracy that communism created. And this is very, very typical in socialist situations. They want to solve one problem and they cause something worse that's more destructive. Um, communism was devastating to the environment, uh, not only at Chernobyl, but throughout Soviet Union. They made a mess. And we still see the after effects of it uh, in, in the old Soviet Union. 
So this is something for us to keep in mind that they have to go to the hell they did not want to enter and they have no choice. I have an uh, email question from Joan that's sent in um, by uh, messenger here. Um, it says, Father Mitch, how do you know when a person is possessed? First of all, possession means that a spirit takes control of a person's will, as opposed to being obsessed by the demonic. An obsession is when a person is so focused on the uh, on evil that it's easy for them to be tempted and fall into temptation. But that's not the case with full possession. The person does not have control of their own will. Some of the signs of that are, first, they have supernatural knowledge. They sometimes can speak languages they never studied. And this is something that we have to be uh, very alert to. Um, and they sometimes have knowledge. There was one uh, case of an exorcism, and the priest was young doing the exorcism. He had failed to mention some past sin in his confession before he started the exorcism. And the demon in the person being exorcised spoke that sin out loud to everybody. And the possessed person didn't know the priest, complete stranger, but the demon gave that information about an unconfessed sin. So supernatural knowledge. And then this, the other thing you look for are, is supernatural strength and power so that they can uh, do things. Sometimes um, in the real case behind the exorcist, drawers on the dresser drawer would open and shut and a few other things uh, by them. No one was standing there. They just open and shut. And a few other things like that would go on. So, um, you know, um, that kind of supernatural power and supernatural knowledge while the person is doing evil to themselves and destroying the image of God in them. So that's what's going on there. Okay. Well, I have another caller. Hello, Kay in Florida. What can we do for you today? Hi, Father. Miss, it's been a while and um, we, we miss you and love you. And um, my question to you is about um, the demonic people who are walking around. We, we went on a sabbatical and um, we noticed a lot of people were walking around. They were demonic. And um, we were asked, wondering to you if you should um, try to convert them or stay home isolated and um, mm -hmm. pray and pray for ourselves and um, our loved ones instead okay. of acting with them. Sure. There are a couple yeah. things you have to pay attention to. First, uh, the minister of exorcism is a priest. And not any priest. The priest has to have specific permission from his bishop to be able to do an exorcism. So he can't just say, oh, yeah, uh, uh, I, we have exorcists that go in like the Ghostbusters or something. No, 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 no. 
it's, you know, the bishop has to, you know, the case has to be evaluated, making sure the person doesn't have a medical problem or a psychological problem, but that it really is a spiritual problem uh, of possession. So it has to be done carefully. But for the rest of us, you know, we have people who are giving into temptation to side with Satan. They don't have to be possessed to commit sin and sometimes horrible sin. They, they, you don't need to be possessed. Not every big sinner is possessed. Some people who you know, commit widespread, you know, mass murders, for instance, are just people who totally disregard the commandments of God. And there are two things. One, yes, you should pray and fast for them. Pray and fast for their uh, conversion. That's very important. Secondly, you also want to see if an opportunity comes for you to evangelize. Uh, if, if the opportunity comes to prevent, to, to uh, evangelize somebody, uh, go ahead and do so and learn how to do that in a way that they can hear what you're saying. And all kinds of people have, are used by God in all kinds of ways. But if you go on trying to take this issue on for yourself, you'll probably set yourself up for failure. You don't seek this out. Uh, you certainly don't seek to do uh, exorcisms and stuff. This you know, spiritual warfare is you know, serious business, and you have to be cautious about that. And our task is evangelize as we can, find opportunities, keep our spiritual ears always open to speaking about the mercy and love of God and calling people away from sin to virtue and holiness and goodness and truth. This is our task. So focus first on praying for them and then seek opportunities and ask our Lord to direct you, but don't jump in too quickly. It's like somebody going into combat without having gone to boot camp. You know, you don't, don't want them on your side. <laughs> They'll cause more trouble. So, you know, be, be careful, but be open to evangelizing when you get a chance. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more of your questions and comments, so please stay with us. just want to invite you to join me tomorrow for EWTN Live. That'll be tomorrow night, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And we will be talking with EWTN's own Raymond Arroyo. 
We will take a look at uh, the famous Christmas story of the three wise men and his efforts to find historical clues that give us new insight into the grit, determination, and daring of these three brave individuals that went to look for Christ the King. All right, so we have uh, a question from YouTube from Yaroslav, who's sent in questions before. He's in Ukraine. It's good to hear from Yaroslav because, um, you know, we... Um, you know, want to be reminded to pray for the people. There's, uh, you know, the, the, the Ukrainian uh, people are doing, you know, extraordinarily well in their war, but it's horrible. Even winning a war is, often has horror associated with it. People die. And as we see in the news that civilians are being bombed indiscriminately, uh, missiles being sent indiscriminately into cities. Um, these, are, these are terrible things. So we still pray for peace uh, as well as justice over in Ukraine. But anyway, Yaroslav asks the question, Father Mitch, whom do we need to ask for the intercessory prayer for people who have uh, evil thoughts? Well, you know, I don't know that there's a particular patron saint for uh, fighting against evil thoughts. There are a number of saints who fought that. Uh, one of them would be uh, Saint Jerome, the translator of the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. And he struggled uh, mightily with uh, uh, thoughts of impurity. And uh, in fact, that's why he studied Hebrew so uh, assiduously. Uh, this was how he counteracted the temptations. He also had a lot of temptations to anger. Lot, and sometimes he gave in to them in his letters. You see that he wasn't happy. So St. Jerome might well be a good person to uh, seek for um, uh, getting purity of thought, both from angry thoughts and from sexually impure thoughts. He'd be a good one, I think. Then we also have an email from Mary Ann. Uh, Father Mitch, when our Lord said, in heaven there are many mansions, is this referring to different degrees of holiness? Mary Ann in Texas. I don't think that particular passage is referring to different degrees of holiness. That is, our, remember the context, always, always look at context. And in that passage, which is in John chapter 14, the beginning uh, verses of chapter 14, our Lord had just predicted in chapter 13, the, verse, the last part of chapter 13, right before this, he predicted his ascension into heaven. And he says that I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you also may be. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. He, that passage is focusing 
on letting the apostles know that there's lots and lots of room for everybody in heaven. And our Lord wants everyone to be there. Matter of fact, you see, in, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God wills all people to be saved. Okay? So that's a very important thing. And uh, not that they all will be. That's, you know, they, they have to respond to God's grace. But he desires that. And so having our Lord saying that there are many mansions is simply saying, you know, there's plenty of room. Don't worry that we've, you know, that we're going to run out of room in heaven. But make sure that you follow Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, which is the next verse after he says this in chapter 14, verse 6, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. He's, he goes on to teach about it, so we have to have a good sense of that. And then we have an uh, email from Deb in Alabama. It says, Dear Father Mitch, I lead a Bible study group which is studying the Psalms using the Navarre Bible commentary. We were of the impression that over the course of three years, the whole Bible is covered in the Mass. But our commentary stated that Psalm 58 is not used in the Christian liturgy. Can you help me explain the discrepancy uh, or misunderstanding to my group? Um, I think also Psalm 109 is not used. Now, with Psalm 109, the reason for it is that it is a, a psalm that puts imprecations, that is, curses, on various enemies of God and of Israel. It wants them to suffer. Um, and, you know, the uh, Psalm 58, um, let's see... You know, says, uh, oh, it, it, again, it's another, it's kind of a harsh description of sinners. Um, in your hearts you devise wrongs, your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked go astray from the womb, they err from their birth, speaking lies, they have venom like the venom of a serpent. Um, I don't know how many places you uh, have at, mass readings where it's a good idea to uh, keep focusing on all these bad people. <laughs> and other, that, that's why it's skipped. Um, so that, that's, that's what's going on there. It's just a way to have things not quite so uh, harsh. Okay. And then we have one from Tracy in Collierville, Tennessee. Father Mitch, in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 19, Jesus says we must follow the letter of the Jewish law. How does this change when all things have taken place? As a practicing Catholic, how did the church determine which of the Jewish laws no longer apply? Tracy uh, in Collierville, Tennessee. Um, Christ fulfills the law and the prophets. And that, that's been our teaching. And there are some of the laws of the Old Testament, especially regarding food, 
that are not taken uh, as something that we have to follow. Now, in, in that, our Lord in Mark chapter 7 said, declares all things clean. When he says, it's not what enters um, your mouth that makes you unclean, but it's what comes from your heart that makes you unclean. And St. Mark adds a little note, in saying this, he made all foods clean. And then you also see St. Peter have a vision confirming that, in which, uh, and this is in Acts of the Apostles chapter 10, and he is told to uh, go ahead and eat some animals that were unkosher. Um, and the, this is the Holy Spirit directing him. Also, we don't follow Jewish liturgical norms because we don't have the temple. We don't go to the temple. If there were a Jewish temple and we went, we'd have to, you know, uh, mind the, their customs and their fulfillment of the law. But the, the temple's been destroyed, so that, that also doesn't apply. We would take some of it, but we don't do animal sacrifices. We offer Jesus Christ as the one true sacrifice. All right, at the break, so uh, Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by his peace. Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And remember, this network is brought to you by you, not by commercials. And so we depend on you keeping us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll be able to pay our bills too. Thank you. God bless.